It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. The human food supply chain continues to take hits from every direction. From Kansas, what a farmer called a heat burst drives daytime temperatures to 108 degrees and nighttime temperatures to 100. 10,000 cattle have died. Was the record heat day and night the only factor? Stay tuned. We'll consider this question. More than 15,000 sheep have drowned. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? But it all adds up to less food. Again, more to come. Completely freak and absolutely not natural weather events in the recent past have killed hundreds of thousands of cattle, sheep, alpacas, and who knows how much wildlife. More specifics to come. From the LA Times, major water cutbacks loom as shrinking Colorado River nears, quote, moment of reckoning. Yes, the reckoning. It's definitely here, but it's not limited to the engineered cutting off of precipitation to the Colorado River Basin. The so-called reckoning comes in countless forms. It's global, and we're far past the point of no return. Those that don't yet see it or believe it will sooner than they can imagine. Another headline, same theme, preparing for the reality of financial collapse. This is from last week. This financial collapse report states this, quote, at the root of this collapse is money printing. In the last 50 years, the U.S. has had only four years during which it made a profit, and that profit wouldn't even cover six months' worth of the current annual deficit. In short, the U.S. is well beyond bankruptcy. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Reality is unimaginably worse than that. The headline I just covered should be, it should have stated, preparing for the reality of final collapse. The financial part is only a small sliver of what's coming. And what's mainstream media distracting populations with? Divorce trials? The ongoing political circus of meaningless idiocy on every channel? The frontline reports of existential importance are swept under the rug. The even more troubling truth, far too many are fine with the total omissions of dire truth. They don't want to know. How perplexing that has always been to me. How many so-called caring people, so-called patriotic people that don't really want the truths that are uncomfortable. And about all the deception that far too much of the population so willfully embraces lying representatives of our so-called government from both sides of the political divide are participating with all of it. The demagogue is one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. That's a quote from H.L. Mencken. The pyramid scheme known as industrialized, militarized, so-called civilization is accelerating at blinding speed toward total collapse. And so are Earth's life support systems. No food, no people. Simple. And for those that feel buying lots and lots of guns and bullets will save you from what's coming, think again. While we're on the subject of bullets, let's not forget that in 2012, the U.S. government stocked up its alphabet agencies like Department of Homeland Security with some 2.4 billion 
40 caliber hollow point bullets. Why? What are they preparing for? That blank's not hard to fill in for any that have summoned the courage to face the wider horizon. And in order to see that wider horizon accurately, one must look through a clear lens. And to do that, biases, preconception, and ideology must be completely abandoned. On that note, back to the wider horizon itself. The collapse of a major Atlantic current would cause worldwide disasters. Spoken of this in several previous broadcasts, speaking about the AMOC current, the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation. And this collapse is well underway, as I reported on this broadcast for so very long. The collapse of the AMOC current wouldn't just mean changes in the Atlantic Basin or the Northern Hemisphere. Rather, it would be abrupt and a worldwide shift in climate everywhere. But about the overall worldwide weather-related disasters, they're already going exponential. Look up. Connect the climate engineering piece of the puzzle. Consider and remember that there can be no legitimate discussion about the climate or the state of the climate from any perspective without first and foremost addressing the climate engineering elephant in the sky. You're listening to the weekly bad news broadcast, the Global Alert News Hour, commercial-free, non-political, and covering the most dire and immediate threats we collectively face. This broadcast is brought to you by geoengineeringwatch.org. G-E-O, the word engineering, watch.org. The weekly bad news broadcast is now aired on AM and FM stations in numerous regions throughout the U.S. This is Dane Wigington, your host of the bad news broadcast. Please check the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org for our YouTube channel versions of this broadcast. We hope you will subscribe to our YouTube channel and help us to circulate our groundbreaking documentary exposing global climate engineering operations titled The Dimming. It's available to view for free on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Please help us to expand our voice and in doing so to help us to be more effective at sounding the alarm. Moving on from Yahoo News and other sources last week from a poll. Half of Americans now predict the U.S. may, quote, cease to be a democracy, end quote, someday. Cease to be a democracy someday? Newsflash. That day's in the rearview mirror. We're now in completely uncharted territory, and our navigators are the criminally insane behind the curtain, the money printers that own militaries, thus they own countries. Consider the fact that the planet's failing life support systems can no longer support the impact of the human race. Further, there's also the fact that the global controllers have long since made clear their intention of radically reducing human populations for that very reason. But since it's inarguable that those in power are the ones most responsible for creating this paradigm, and yes, the public has gone along, those in power couldn't do what they have done without the active or passive support of the majority population, that Part of the equation is completely inarguable. We've seen the enemy and he is us. But that being said, the global controllers for being most responsible for where we're at today, shouldn't they be the first ones to walk the plank? The first ones to help reduce global populations by taking the lead, if you will? Over and over, I've asked this question and will continue to. Is it in any way rational to believe that these very same ruling oligarchs that are determined to cull the human herd as fast as possible are actually trying 
to preserve and protect the health, welfare, and posterity of populations so that they can continue to proliferate and consume until absolutely nothing is left? Is it in any way rational to believe that the so-called public protection agencies, medical and environmental, actually exist to safeguard the very populations that power structures who pay for those agencies view as a rapidly increasing liability? Connect the dots while you can. More breaking reports from last week. Let's start with this. New funding from governments for carbon fuel exploration and production is simply, quote, delusional. That's a statement from the UN chief from last Tuesday. He added that it would only, quote, further feed the scourge of war, pollution, and climate catastrophe, end quote. Indeed, that is, in fact, exactly the scenario we face. Accident or design? You decide. Speaking of which, a new study has determined that, quote, flawed research is not retracted fast enough to prevent spread of misinformation. Translation, the truth-censoring Gestapo is failing in its attempt to completely suppress the truth. And about our skies, this headline from last week, new panels want to talk ethics, rules for climate tinkering, i.e., Climate Intervention Operations, a.k.a. Weather Warfare. The report states tinkering with the planet's atmosphere to cool Earth's ever-warming climate. How's that going so far? 75 years plus of ongoing covert climate intervention operations. How is that going? We are virtually over the precipice of near-term planetary omnicide. Will anyone survive the trip to the bottom of the canyon? Moving on with this report of total deception, they say that climate tinkering is, quote, inching closer to reality. So much so, they say, that two different high-powered groups, one of scientists, one of former world leaders, are trying to come up with ethics and governing guidelines. How in the world would we ever get any ethics from either of those groups? What a circus of total deception. This report continues saying... This shows, i.e., that they're forming these groups, that the idea of solar geoengineering is finally, quote, getting serious. That's a statement from Harvard University climate scientist, world's most recognized geoengineer, by the way, Dr. David Keith. They call him a leader in the field, i.e., the climate engineering field. Footnote, if you want to see Dr. David Keith confronted and cornered on film, take the time to view the groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming, that conclusively proves climate engineering operations are ongoing. You can view it for free from the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Back to the so-called ethics report on climate tinkering. What's needed, they say, are ethical guidelines before anything is done in order to gain the public's trust. What a sick, twisted lie it all is. Gain the public's trust for using weather as a covert weapon of war against them. Just another day in the planetary asylum. The report continues, if fully implemented, solar radiation management, what we see in our skies, could, they say, create what some would call an artificial volcano, cooling the globe temporarily like 1991's Mount Pinatubo eruption in the Philippines. Key word, temporary cooling. And now, the most comprehensive study of its kind, surprisingly admitted to by NASA, has completely obliterated the entire foundational premise on which solar radiation management operations have been officially based. 
this surprising report from NASA, which you can view on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Under the recent columns, it's titled, Is It Game Over? What this report did was completely confirm everything geoengineeringwatch.org has stated on the record from the beginning of our existence that putting these light-scattering toxic particles into the sky to block some of the sun's incoming thermal energy would only provide very temporary toxic short-term cooling, as in one to two years, followed by a protracted and accelerating overall warming of the planet and a complete contamination of the entire biosphere. And that is exactly what is happening, along with a destruction of the ozone layer also happening. Completely confirmed by this report, and we still have the so-called climate science community pretending that they could, may, might deploy solar radiation management operations someday, and that they know it will work. When after 75 years of total destruction on our planet and being over the precipice of near-term planetary omnicide, they're still pretending that they haven't deployed this insanity and using weather as a weapon all over the globe. The crown jewel weapon of the military-industrial complex, a weapon with which they can bring populations to their knees without those populations ever even realizing they're under assault and they can blame it all on nature or just climate change when it's much more than that. Let's add this to the equation. If climate engineering operations began to be scaled back, possibly due to pressure from behind the scenes, from sources of power that are realizing that they are participating in their own near-term demise, what would the planet's response be? The scientific term is double catastrophe scenario. Search geoengineeringwatch.org double catastrophe scenario to learn more. It's a full report on this subject. Bottom line, there is immense blowback from the pressure that's built up in the climate system. To be clear, we're in completely uncharted territory. No one can know exactly how profound the planet's life support response will be if and when, and it is when, climate engineering will stop one way or the other as societal collapse unfolds. But how strong will that life support response be? Certainly there will be unimaginable blowback as the planet tries to find a new equilibrium. But the climate science community would have us believe that once you start climate engineering, you can never stop, as if that's even remotely possible. Of course it will stop. When the resources run out, when the life support systems completely collapse, it will stop. The reality is this. If it's not stopped soon, there will be nothing left to salvage. And the notion that you can't stop once you start is like telling a heroin addict you have to keep increasing your doses until you're dead. Because that's exactly the course that these so-called climate scientists have us on. Now let's consider climate engineering and dead cows. Radio frequency microwave transmissions are a core part of climate intervention operations. The atmospherically destructive transmissions are used to manipulate pressure zones and jet sprayed particulates, part of climate engineering operations. High pressure heat domes are a hallmark of ionosphere heater operations. The transmissions cause an electrical chain reaction in the electrically charged ionosphere. The superheating of this layer causes expansion. This, in turn, forces the atmosphere up and down. The downward push of compressing air shows up as a high pressure heat dome on the surface. With all that in mind, here's another headline that elaborates on the report mentioned at the start of this broadcast. Connect the climate engineering pieces of the puzzle. The following new headline is from agdaily.com. Extreme heat and humidity kills thousands of cattle in Kansas. The most recent estimates are 
10,000 cows or more succumbed. To truly digest this occurrence, I would recommend locating the video of this event online and view it. Again, a local Kansas farmer called the occurrence a, quote, localized heat blast that pushed daytime temperatures to 108 degrees and nighttime temperatures to 100. This is not the result of natural weather patterns. For the record, cattle losses have already hit the United States hard in recent years as producers reduced herd numbers due to continued drought. The liquidation of nearly 3 million head of cattle have resulted in a tighter beef supply while beef demands have remained steady throughout 2022. Question, what other types of freak weather events are killing livestock by the tens of thousands? Here's an answer. Chemical ice nucleating cloud seeding for weather modification. Engineered winter weather events. Here's an example. October 4th, 2013. I've given this example many times on this broadcast. It needs to be heard now to back up what has just happened on the flip side of weather modification, the heat dome. October 4th, 2013. Flash winter snowstorm, South Dakota. Snow started falling at temperatures of 40 degrees. These are cold, hardy cattle. At the same time, it was snowing in South Dakota at 40 degrees. On October 4, 2013, it was raining at 85 degrees in Chicago. It was raining at 89 degrees in Kansas City. Think about that. This snowstorm, this flash snowstorm in South Dakota killed 100,000 cattle. Snow that started falling at 40 degrees. This is chemically ice-nucleated frozen material. It's heavy. It's very cold to the touch. It's very adhesive. Sticks to their hides. Clogs their snouts. If the cows can't breathe through their nose, they will die. They will suffocate because they won't breathe through their mouth. So what did we have two or three days after this flash winter snowstorm? We had 100,000 cattle laying around in the mud, dead with no more frozen material on the ground. And I contacted the Ranchers Association in Dakota and tried to inform them of the climate engineering operations, offered to send them data. They didn't want any part of any of it. Who's paying these clowns? Why are they so blind to their own peril? They won't listen. They won't. More recent flash snowstorm in Texas, same result. 30,000 cattle dead. Southern Hemisphere, Chemical ice nucleating cloud seeding operations responsible for the death of over 250,000 alpacas. Very cold, hardy alpacas, I would add. If you are willing to learn more about this core aspect of climate engineering, which geoengineeringwatch.org is the only source trying to bring to light, unfortunately, and I hope that changes, please go to the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org, search and review the entire engineering winter section. While you're at it, engineering drought and engineering wildfires, two other sections that need to be reviewed to understand the full depth and breadth of the climate engineering insanity. Here's a side note, more livestock lost, more than 15,000 sheep drown after live export ship sinks in Sudan. Sure seems to be an incredible amount of livestock unexpectedly dying all over the world, isn't there? And let's not forget the millions of chickens and turkeys that have been culled all over the world due to the latest bird pathogen. They just keep popping up, don't they? Back to the planetary meltdown being further fueled by climate engineering operations. Short-term, highly toxic surface cooldowns at the cost of an even worse overall warming 
and a complete contamination of the entire surface, along with every breath we take. And climate engineering operations are killing much more than animals. Let's keep that in mind. Over a third of the U.S. population urged to stay indoors, the report states, amid record-breaking heat. From that report, more than 125 million people under heat alerts as record high temperatures are set throughout the U.S. Lots of air conditioners running on overtime. Yes, maybe. But the question is for how long? As I've previously covered many times on this broadcast, climate intervention operations are dramatically reducing all three forms of alternative energy, solar, wind, and hydro. And as the next report states, hydropower is, in fact, going down. Here's the report from last week. Hydropower decline adds strain to power grids in drought. And we have the whole western U.S., the western half of the United States in drought. How does the moisture that moves from west to east get to the east without raining on the west? Climate engineering is how. The high-pressure domes I just described are how. High-pressure domes spin the upper-level winds clockwise in the northern hemisphere. So picture it like a giant atmospheric pulley that pushes the upper-level winds clockwise around that, over and above that, bypassing the western U.S., pushes it back down on the eastern U.S., which is the most anomalously less warm region in the entire world for 10 years running, and now far wetter. And that's how the west is fried in order to cool the east. And you can search those titles at geoengineeringwatch.org. There's many reports on that subject. Frying the west to cool the east. Lots of weather maps that show very accurately exactly what the climate engineers are doing. Another headline, same theme on the loss of hydropower. Hydropower's future is clouded by droughts, floods, and climate change. No mention of climate engineering, no surprise. They say it's also essential to the U.S. electric grid. Essential, but it's going to be lost soon. It's already being lost. Some dams are not able to produce hydro already, and very big dams are soon not going to be able to produce hydro, like the Glen Canyon Dam and Hoover Dam, i.e. Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Get to that in a moment. And let's consider this, the feud between the left and the right. The Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, the big facade that keeps the population divided, conquered, and distracted from the wider horizon. This feud about energy sources is just a divide-and-conquer theater of mass distraction. Neither side telling the truth, starting with both sides completely silent about the global climate intervention assault. Keep that in mind. And let's add this part to the equation that I just described. Climate and biosphere collapse. That's the bottom line factor. That's determining our collective futures by the day. The ongoing climate intervention operations, again, are further fueling the overall process. And all of it makes those in power more desperate and dangerous than ever before. Back to Lake Mead and Lake Powell. They're both nearing what is called Deadpool status. What's that mean? It means they are very, very close to the point where they can't pump anything out of either one of those lakes. No hydropower, no water. Cities like Vegas, Phoenix, and many, many others. Soon to be without water. The climate engineering assault rages in the skies overhead and the entirety of official agencies, so-called elected officials, the so-called climate science community, pretending it's not happening. 
Next headline, moment of reckoning. Federal official warns of Colorado River water supply cuts. From that report, the Colorado River's reservoirs have diminished to the point that significant cuts to the water supply to seven states that rely on it will be necessary. The Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner told the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee that maintaining, quote, critical levels at the largest reservoirs in the United States, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, will require reductions in water deliveries. That's a gross understatement. Radical reductions. They state a warmer, drier West is what we are seeing today. And the challenges we are seeing are unlike anything we have ever seen in our history. Yes, the drought is considered to be the worst in at least 1,200 years. And we can see in satellite imagery, climate engineering operations, cutting off the flow of precipitation to the West. And again, the whole of our so-called modern society, all the so-called experts pretending that climate engineering isn't even occurring. The report then says, what's been a slow motion train wreck for 20 years is accelerating and the moment of reckoning is near. That's a statement from John Insminger, general manager of the Southern Nevada Water Authority. He told that to the U.S. government at a Senate hearing. The report then states, the mega drought began in the year 2000. The last 20 years have been the driest two decades in the last 1,200 years. This year is so far the driest on record in California. Scientists they say, attribute these conditions to climate change, which causes more water evaporation due to warmer temperatures. Such statements are far from the whole truth. Let's consider what the report just said. Does it evaporate more in drier conditions? Yes, but also over the oceans. As I've stated so many times, the laws of physics make clear the atmosphere holds 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. It must rain much more overall on a rapidly warming planet, but it's not. Why not? Because climate engineering is completely altering the hydrological cycle, especially over the oceans. As I just mentioned a moment ago, we can see in satellite imagery what the climate engineers are doing, in this case over the eastern Pacific, which is the ocean off the west coast of North America. They're completely disrupting the hydrological cycle and hampering the evaporative cycle over the oceans, and that's where our water comes from. Climate engineering is decimating the entire natural process. This is not a natural drought, not by any perspective. I'm not asking, I don't want anyone to believe anything stated in this broadcast, but I'm asking you to investigate it and start with this. Start with a presentation I did nearly 10 years ago called Engineered Drought Catastrophe Target California and examine that. Every single statement in it is more true today than it was then. Exactly what geoengineeringwatch.org said would happen has happened and it will continue to worsen so long as we allow the climate engineering insanity to rage on in our skies. These programs are not benevolent. They are not about the greater good. They're about power and control, period. Yes, the human race has been unimaginably horrific stewards of planet Earth, but the officially denied factor of global climate engineering operations are the most destructive of all, and populations must wake up and face this fact while we can still make a difference. In the meantime, the climate engineers continue to cut off any significant rainfall from the western U.S. More breaking bad news headlines in a moment. First, you're listening to the weekly installment of Global Alert News, the bad news broadcast. This is installment number 358, June 18th, 
2022. This is Dane Wigington, your host. Global Alert News is brought to you by geoengineeringwatch.org, the largest and most visited website in the world on the subject of climate intervention operations known as geoengineering. The commercial-free, non-political Global Alert News Hour is now broadcast on AM and FM stations in Northern California, Texas, Alabama, Florida, Denver, Washington State, Oregon, the Northeast, Sacramento, San Diego, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and now Pittsburgh. Geoengineeringwatch.org wishes to express our deepest gratitude to those that have helped us expand our reach and our voice in this desperate last-hour effort to sound the alarm. In regard to sounding the alarm, please help us to share the groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming, which fully exposes the climate engineering atrocities. The best way to share this groundbreaking film is by circulating the direct link to The Dimming from the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Sharing directly helps us to overcome social media censorship. And Google, for example, is doing everything they can to censor geoengineeringwatch.org data, along with Facebook. Final footnote, you can find Geoengineering Watch awareness raising materials on our homepage. Our only goal is to provide activists what they need to move this fight forward. There are very high quality printed materials and just added our new geoengineeringwatch.org shirts scannable business cards, and bumper stickers. All effective tools to help strike up a conversation on the climate engineering issue. And doing so is the first and most important step toward getting the as-of-yet uninformed to start looking up. Moving on, climate intervention operations continue to do what they do best. Wreak havoc on the environment and every breath we take. This headline from last week, super high pollen counts everywhere, the report states. Just pollen? No, I think not. That's why we have peer-reviewed science study about the bees whose job it is in the web of life to collect pollen. They are dying of symptoms that resemble Alzheimer's and dementia in a human being because there is aluminum nanoparticulates in the pollen everywhere on the surface. It's coming down through the air column. Peer-reviewed science studies, search bees aluminum, read it for yourself, and ask yourself why the so-called experts aren't telling us about this. And we're all sucking it up with every breath. The larger the organism, the longer it takes to break it down. So bees are breaking down before us, but we are right behind them. Keep that in mind. Next headline, same theme. Air quality worsens as drought forces California growers to burn abandoned crops. Are fires putting particulate matter in the air? Yes, of course. But why do we have time-lapse film footage, for example, in the catastrophic paradise fire of climate intervention aerosol spraying operations putting grid patterns down directly on top of the Paradise Fire smoke bank. You can see this footage in the dimming documentary. Next headline, wildfire tears through California forest as temperatures rocket. Yes, in between the bouts of temporary surface cooldowns, we have moisture that is allowed to flow across the state, heavily aerosolized, moisture is vaporized, and then we have the skyrocketing temperatures right back up, forest fires continuing and now we have the worst of all scenarios we had a rainless winter in northern california literally and then we had a few spring rains that made the grass grow more than we've seen in many years it's very astounding almost as if there was something in the precipitation that augmented that growth and that's not a reach not at all we've had small single engine biplanes crop dusting massive areas for nearly a century. 
How much do you think a KC-135, for example, a military tanker, could do when it can carry 100 tons of material in a single payload? So now we have tall, dead, dry grass and dead trees. When are the incinerations coming for California and what forest is left? It's coming. You can bank on it. Next headline, Phoenix is shockingly hot and its nighttime temperatures are even scarier. Yes, nighttime temperatures are rising twice as fast as daytime highs because we have heat trapping gases in the atmosphere and we have the climate engineering particles that can provide some temporary daytime deflection of heat at the cost of trapping even more of it at night and destroying the ozone layer, disrupting the hydrological cycle. I could go on and on. Nighttime temperatures rising so fast, not cooling off at night. Very, very alarming harbinger of what's coming. Let me cover a small excerpt from this report. The sweltering nighttime heat in Arizona beat the previous record for June nighttime temperatures by 5 degrees Fahrenheit. That is an astounding jump. Both the U.S. and Europe are suffering heat waves, with temperatures soaring past 100 degrees in several Spanish and French cities, while dangerous temperatures are now affecting almost a third of Americans. Here's what must be remembered. You can't look backward at a graph on how long it took to get to this point to set the stage for exponential planetary meltdown. We're at that stage now. It's like the fuse on a stick of dynamite. might burn slowly for a very long time, but when it hits that critical point, the entire equation changes and we are there. In Northern California in recent days, the featureless white skies were again set up. In a quiet location where I live in the woods, off-grid, an endless parade of jets could be heard overhead but not seen. A few lower-level natural cumulus clouds can be seen in the horizons, but it's hard to make them out against the backdrop canopy of toxic solar radiation management cloud cover that can and all too often is utilized to diminish and disperse California's rain. The same is the case in so many parts of the world. And in other locations, there's endless deluge. It never seems to stop. Constant drought and deluge scenarios. Both harbingers of climate intervention operations. From PBS.com, Environmental Science and Technology section. Let's weave some puzzle pieces together here. Large reductions in solar energy production due to dust and particulate air pollution. Went over hydro earlier. Now solar. Many factors affecting solar. Again, that's what brought me into this equation to begin with. When I built my large off-grid home, was at the cover of the world's largest renewable energy magazine. Part of my background in solar with Bechtel Power Corporation. And I began to lose massive amounts of my solar photovoltaic uptake from whatever these aircraft were emitting, blocking out the entire skyline on many days, reducing my solar uptake by 50, 60, 70%. That's not a light reduction of that amount, but when you reduce direct sunlight, solar panels are almost worthless. Solar energy wouldn't tell you that, but that's the fact of the matter. Now we have dust that settles down on those panels, and that further reduces their production. And by the way, this dust is an incendiary dust, which settles on forest foliage, the forest floor, and makes it all much more flammable as well. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is pounding the nails into our collective coffins. But from this report on the solar output, they say abstract atmospheric particulate matter has the potential to diminish solar energy production by direct and indirect radiative forcing as well as being deposited on solar panel surfaces, thereby reducing solar energy transmittance to photovoltaics, i.e. you get less solar panel power. And let's add this, because the ozone layer is being trashed, and we have now these superheated zones, the ionosphere heaters part of that equation, the hotter those panels get, 
the less power they make. Much, much less power. Does that mean carbon-based fuels and nuclear power are a better solution? Absolutely not. They're all awful. We've painted ourselves into an unimaginably dark corner with so-called technology. It's not saving us. It's killing us. More headlines of planetary meltdown. From last week, Texas sizzles as prolonged heat wave smashes dozens of temperature records. As the heat wave built across Texas, so did the risk for heat-related illness like exhaustion and heat stroke. Just ask the cows how it went for them. With less of a chance to cool down at night, when over that already, energy usage will continue to be high across the affected regions as residents attempt to stay cool. Good luck with that for very much longer. Very dry conditions at the surface give the atmosphere the ability to warm up faster and more intensely than it would normally without water to evaporate. When you cut off the water and you orchestrate high-pressure heat domes, it magnifies everything I just went over. Next headline from last week. Scorching conditions grip Texas and the Southwest. Same theme. Record-breaking heat became the norm, the report states. Another headline, same theme. Texas power demand hits record as heat dome roasts state. Heat dome. In the title. Keep that in mind. But not to worry. The power demand won't remain at record high levels for that much longer because soon there won't be any power. And for those that roll their eyes and walk away from such a conclusion, it won't be a matter of belief for long. It will be a matter of reality. Next headline last week, Death Valley exceeds 120 degrees Fahrenheit, breaking daily high temperature records. The report states, and listen carefully, a northward bulge in the jet stream unfolded over the southwestern states this week. That bulge in the jet stream, high-pressure heat dome, spins clockwise in the northern hemisphere. We described it earlier in this broadcast, spinning all the moisture and cooler air around that high-pressure heat dome. That's exactly what they're describing here. More heat headlines. From last week, heat wave affecting 100 million people as extreme weather extends across the United States. Here's another from the World Meteorological Association. Intense heat is gripping Spain and parts of the Mediterranean in early summer heat wave. It's actually still spring, but... Makes the headline sound less dire, doesn't it? That's their intent. From the UK Guardian, new data reveals extraordinary global heating in the Arctic. Please listen carefully to the few excerpts from this report because it confirms everything that Geoengineering Watch.org has stated on the record for a decade and a half. Temperatures in the Barents Sea region are, quote, off the scale and may affect extreme weather in the U.S. and Europe. And describing some of that already, Climate Engineering core to all of this. They then continue with this. New data has revealed extraordinary rates of global heating in the Arctic up to seven times faster than the global average. That does not bode well for many reasons. They then say, it was already known that the climate crisis was driving heating across the Arctic far faster than the global average, but the new research shows the situation is much worse than previously believed. How many times have I said on this broadcast, for how many years, it's not as bad as we're being told, it's exponentially worse than we're being told, and that couldn't be hidden for much longer. I've said that over and over, and now we're seeing that is in fact exactly the case. Next statement from this report, the broader message is that the feedback of melting sea ice is even higher than previously shown. Again, confirmation of what geoengineeringwatch.org has stated. And then they say this, the new study shows that even the best possible models have been greatly underestimating the rate of warming. They've been lying about the warming, pacifying populations until the brutal bitter end, and trying to hide the true significance of the warming, the true extent of the warming, by engineering surface cooldowns, sensationalizing those cooldowns in places like Denver and Boston, making the public believe it's not as bad as it is until we hit the wall at full velocity. This research was published in the journal Scientific Reports, and it's based on data from the Arctic. More headlines of 
planetary meltdown with climate intervention operations further fueling the fires from countless directions. Search the engineering wildfire section of the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Next headline from last week. Wildfire Alaska, permafrost and forests are burning. Next headline from last week. Lower Yukon River wildfire is among Alaska's largest tundra fires on record and it's not even summer yet. The report states it's also part of a trend of increasingly frequent tundra fires in that region. A wildfire that has scorched 153,505 acres near the Bering Sea in the Arctic, and it's not even summer. Next headline, methane leak at Russian mine could be the largest ever discovered. The methane blowouts from the Arctic tundra are even worse. Search Siberian methane craters, look at those pictures, and ponder that one. Another headline from last week, again highlighting the runaway event that we are already in. It's called an abrupt climate collapse, climate engineering making all of it worse, not better. Here's the headline from last week. In South Asia, record heat threatens future of farming. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? And there's this. Dead fish are nearly all that's left of a lake in drought-stricken Chile. And this. Water crisis. Pakistan to run dry in three years. It's not going to take three years. It's going to happen sooner than that. Next headline. Extraordinary heat sends temperatures to nearly 130 degrees in the Middle East. All over the world. But wait, what about... These headlines from last week from AccuWeather, major cooldown to replace intense heat across the Southwest. That's called weather whiplash. It's not nature. It's climate engineering by the use of chemical ice nucleation cloud seeding operations. And here's a stunning example of exactly that. Intense hailstorm blankets Mexico City with snow causes supermarket seeding to collapse. So think about this. We have 10,000 cattle dying from unimaginably high temperatures in Kansas City and Mexico City's covered with snow? The tidal wave of insanity and outright evil that we face is beyond true comprehension. The challenges we face seem insurmountable. But are they? Forgive me if I rant for a moment. Several years ago on this broadcast, I briefly shared an event of a single day from my past, a day that has continued to carry deep and growing meaning for me, an experience that keeps me marching forward in this seemingly impossible battle against the looming tidal wave of collective insanity that hangs over us all. Forgive me for revisiting this turning point in my life as it continues to haunt me and at the same time to fuel my every step forward in this fight through each darkening day in the effort to raise money for a homeless shelter in Victorville, California, where I once did volunteer work for the homeless, I committed to attempting a solo trek from the bottom of Death Valley, the lowest point in the continental U.S., below sea level, to the top of Mount Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the lower 48 states. It's 14,505 feet. My objective was to make this journey in the span of a single day. Obstacles in this journey included intense heat in two mountain ranges that lay between Death Valley and Mount Whitney, the Panamint Mountains and the Inyo Mountains. And in order to complete the trek, I had to ascend and descend both these mountain ranges before the third and final ascent to the summit of Mount Whitney. I had estimated the total vertical climbing to be about 23,000 feet because of the ups and downs along the route I chose. Raising funds for the shelter in Victorville, called my brother's house, was my outward objective. But at my core, I confess that this journey of a single day was a personal test for me, a metaphor for a far larger and immeasurably more arduous journey that I knew I had to attempt to dedicate the remaining years of my life to manning my post and sounding the alarm. 
In what was to be and still is, many years of constant marching and a battle that had to be waged. This is what I made mention of in the epilogue of the geoengineeringwatch.org documentary, The Dimming. In my heart, I wanted to believe that if I could complete the first journey from the lowest place, i.e. Death Valley, which is where I felt the state of the world was, given the darkening horizon that was unfolding before me, to the top of the highest mountain in the country in the span of a day, then possibly I might have a chance at completing the second journey of many years that I knew I had to attempt. In my youth, I'd racked up many injuries, surgeries on both knees, broken ribs, wrist, both feet, all from individual incidents. But I trained relentlessly and was given a chance to recover and to continue on to many years of extreme endurance events. But now, I wasn't so young. I was 37. And so my endless day's journey began. And I departed the floor of Death Valley on a specially modified mountain bike. It was 12 a.m., July 6, 1999. It was 106 degrees at midnight. Nearly 100 miles of steep mountainous pedaling lay before me before I'd even begin my climb about Whitney. And as I began the long ascent up the eastern slope of the Panamint Mountains, the magnitude of what I was attempting truly sunk in for me. I always stand when pedaling uphill. I can use my upper body. There's more leverage for pedaling. The hours went by. The air began to cool as I cleared the highest point in the Panamint Mountain Range. It was the early morning hours, and I remember how brilliant the stars were in the pitch black sky. I remember how far away the summit of Mount Whitney still was. I began my descent into the Panamint Valley. Two chase vehicles were somewhere behind me to monitor my progress. I crossed the valley, stood up on my pedals, and began my ascent up the eastern side of the Inyo mountain range. Still more hours passed. The first signs of morning light, I remember, began to diminish the darkness. And as I crested the summit of the Inyo mountain range, the first rays of sunlight were beaming across the sky. How clearly I remember this, and there was what I sought towering in the distance to the west, Mount Whitney. And for a moment, I remember pondering the point of what I was doing to go on. When you already feel the fatigue of traveling a great distance, to go on when the objective, when the destination seemed a million miles away, it seemed unattainable. I remember feeling that you can't get there from here, foreboding notion. How clearly I remembered that moment and how many times it has returned over the last 20 years in my battle to expose the insanity. And I feel the deepest respect and regard to all those that I am so privileged to march with in this fight. I continued down the western slope of the Inyo Mountains and into the Owens Valley, and the summit of Whitney loomed even higher as I neared the valley floor. The sun was now blazing hot, I remember it so clearly, the eastern slope of the Sierra Nevada mountain range was being blasted by the full force of its intense rays. I crossed the Owens Valley and Highway 395 and standing and pedaling again and pressing on up the sun-baked narrow asphalt road that wound up the eastern slope of Mount Whitney. The narrow road seemed to disappear in the distance, but somewhere beyond the switchbacks I could still see lay Mount Whitney, the Mount Whitney trailhead at an elevation of 8,500 feet. I'm very heat tolerant, but the combination of intense sun, baking asphalt, a full night of pedaling, and the extremely steep grade still took a toll on me. And after what seemed an eternity, I
passed the first pine tree, then another, and then many, and the air began to get cooler. How clearly I remember that. At 12.30 p.m., just over 12 hours after departing the floor of Death Valley, I reached the trailhead of the tallest mountain in the lower 48 states. But I felt exhausted, battle fatigued, and I had that I've had enough moment. I could never count how many times I've felt this tidal wave of despair over the last 20-year journey. But I know I'm not alone. And to all the dedicated activists and individuals standing against this insanity who felt the same but not given up and who continue to march forward up the mountain in this fight, know that I hold, again, the deepest respect for each and every one of you. And know this, however the story ends, we can't lose if we don't quit. I filled my backpack bladder with the fresh supply of nutritional hydration mix. I switched from my cleated bike shoes to my trekking shoes. And at 1 p.m., I began the attempt to complete the final and most difficult leg of my trek. I was accompanied by a triathlete friend that was waiting for me at the trailhead. And he was fresh and fully rested. He was the proverbial rabbit that I would chase up the mountain. And so I did. From the trailhead, it's 11 arduous miles and 6,000 feet of vertical climbing to the summit. U.S. Forest Service recommends two days to complete this ascent. Without a moment's reprieve, we held the fastest pace we could, zigzagging ever upward over boulder fields and up rock slides. The air became thinner and thinner, but we pressed on. At 4 p.m., we reached a pass, which provided the most breathtaking view of seemingly endless mountains and lakes far below us, stretching to the western horizon, and I will never, ever forget this sight. At such moments in the battle, one feels compelled to rest, but you know you can't. When every moment counts, it's imperative to press on, and such is the case regarding the converging catastrophes that we collectively face. Every day counts in the effort to turn the tide, to reach the summit, so to speak. If I could make it to the top, I wondered, could I complete the journey of many years that I knew awaited me? Onward and upward we climbed, and at 5 p.m. on the afternoon of July 6th, 1999, 17 hours after beginning my trek from the bottom of Death Valley, I set foot on the summit of Mount Whitney. And as I gazed toward the east, the sun's fading rays now illuminated the western slopes of the Inyo and the Panamint Mountain Ranges. And beyond them, Death Valley, where my journey began. And I knew at that moment that for me, a much longer road had yet to be traveled. And the point of this journey for me, the point of our journey together is this. If we don't yield, if we press on, if we make every day count together, we may yet accomplish far more good than we imagined we could, than we imagined possible, even at this late hour. Some 2,000 years ago, the Stoic philosopher Seneca said this, Putting off what should and must be done is a waste of life. It snatches away each day as it comes and denies us the present. By promising the future, the greatest obstacle to living is expectancy, which hangs upon tomorrow and loses today. You are arranging what lies in fortune's control and abandoning what lies in yours. What are you looking for? To what goal are you straining? The whole future lies in uncertainty. Live then, immediately. Words of wisdom from Seneca. Yes, we're the ones we've been waiting for, and it's not an accident. It's destiny. 
What was will soon be no more, but if we stand together with relentless resolve, we could yet make a quantum leap in the right direction. Reaching a critical mass of awareness is the great imperative. If we can accomplish that, other wheels in the battle will begin to turn on their own. We will have a chance of undermining the insanity from the inside out. Check the activist suggestions link on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. Share credible data from a credible source. Make your voice heard. Make every day count. Until next week, this is Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org.